It may not seem like it to you, but we are at a really, really special place. We're at an old church camp way up north in Michigan called Brown City Church Camp. And uh, this is where I grew up. And to you, it, it may look like just any ordinary kind of place with some cabins and, you know, a cafeteria and, and just simple roads and a, and a farm field way up north. But, but to me, this place is worth way more than that. This place is is special because for me, this place was a defining place in my relationship with God. Uh, some of the most significant early spiritual decisions of my life were made in this very campground. And so I want to take us on a bit of a journey into the heart of this place because I think it'll lead us into the passage of the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to be looking at this weekend. King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes 3,000 years ago, and, and we're finding out that it's incredibly relevant to our lives, even to this very day. Uh, it's been an incredible story because we, we've been learning that through all of the ups and through all of the downs of life, that somehow we have to keep our eyes fixed on something other than this world. Because if we look at this world, we're going to be broken. We're going to be brokenhearted. We're going to be disappointed and let down. We're never going to find satisfaction. But when we keep our eyes fixed on something else, somewhere else, um, we're going to find joy. We're going to find peace. We're going to find God in the middle of it all. And so when we think about this idea of old school, uh, there's not a better place on earth that represents old school to me than this camp. And this is going to sound crazy to you, but this is actually one of the largest camps of its kind in all of the United States. This is an amazing place. Uh, every year for over 100 years in the heat of August, in the dead summer month of August, uh, over 3,000 people come to this camp for 10 days to, to be with one another, to, to learn about God, to grow in their relationship with God. And the funny thing is, there's nothing to do at this camp. Nothing. There, is no, there are no tennis courts. There's no lake. There's no rivers. There's not even a pond to swim in. Uh, when I was a kid growing up here, we weren't even allowed to wear shorts in this camp. But we would come here because we, there was something very, very special here. People would ask growing up, what do you do at that camp? And I would say, we meet with God. That's what we do. We meet with God here. You see, we would go to church in the morning. We would do like a church thing in the afternoon. And then we would have church again in the evening. Uh, in the morning, we were in what we call the youth camp area, which is where we're at right now. These are the dorms that I grew up in. Uh, this is where all the boys would stay. If, uh, and, and families with kids would stay all in the campground. There's like hundreds and hundreds of cabins over here. And so a lot of kids would come up with their families. But for those of us who didn't come with their family, we would stay here. The boys would be in this, these dorms and the girls would be over there. And in the middle is the tabernacle. This is the youth tabernacle. And it's incredible because we would have service here in the morning and we'd have these youth speakers, kind of like our very own Chris Pasek, he would come and or guys like him would come and, and they would just fire us up about our relationship with God. And, and we loved it. This was very special to me because uh, Lynette stayed in those girl dorms, right? And I would have all these little love letters delivered over to her. And, and this is where I asked her out, right? This is where we first started dating. And so this is a very special place to me. This whole, holds a ton of really cool memories. And uh, over here, we had a, a giant golf, putt-putt golf course. And we would, you know, hang out with the girls, if you know what I mean. And, and, and this was our little gym. And, and I would show them my mad basketball skills, right? Not really. Uh, but we would play practical jokes. I remember one year when, when we were staying in this dorm, I had this counselor. His name was Jim Gippert, and he was a, he was a great man of God. He had such incredible influence on my life. He really, he really did. Uh, but one year we brought a uh, popcorn popper and a, one of those big bags of like, popcorn like you get like at Sam's Club, 
And uh, we started popping popcorn early in the week. Now we're, we're here for 10 days, right? And so all the kids and all the adults are going, what are you doing with all this popcorn? And we're like, I love popcorn. We're just gonna, we just like popcorn. And, and so we would take the bags of popcorn, and we'd, like, we'd fill like a garbage bag, and we'd take one of these bags, take it out to the cornfield out back, and we'd hide it out there, right? And then at the end of the week, we took our, uh, all these bags, we had like maybe 10 or 12 of these big old bags of popcorn filled, and we went and got Jim's car, our camp counselor's car, and we filled it. And I mean, honest to God, we filled it with popcorn, like the trunk, the whole inside, everything right up to the top. It was, it was so fun. These were good times, right? Um, But this is where my relationship with God started to be formed. This is where my relationship with community life inside the church started to be formed because because of the things that I learned here and the things that I experienced here. And I remember getting up out of these dorms at 6 a.m. in the morning uh, to to pray. We had this little saying. I remember 20 years ago, 30 years ago when we were here, it was get up, get out, get down on your knees and pray. What an incredible thing to be taught as a kid, right? Uh, And so I I learned to seek God here. So this was our area, but way over there on the other side of the camp is what we would call the adult area, right? That's where all the old people lived. But there was something very special. You see, we would have services here with all the kids in the morning, but in the evening we had to dress up, we had to make sure we wore our best, and we would go join the adults for for nighttime church in what we called the Big Tabernacle. And uh, I want to take you into this place because... It is so meaningful to me. It is so special. And then we're going to open the pages of Scripture together, and we're going to learn from God's Word. Let's go. I'm so excited to show you this. This is it. To me, this is like... This is like entering the Holy of Holies. Right over here is the uh, what we would call the Big Tab. The kids, us youth back in the day, we called this the Big Tab. It stood for the Big Tabernacle. And I don't know if you could possibly picture this, but this building, all of these side walls, they, they literally lift up. They open up and you could stand here. And I remember standing here as a kid and looking through and seeing thousands of God's people standing with their hands raised before God, worship to God. It was an incredible thing uh, to grow up like this as a kid. And so I want to take you inside because I think it's very, very cool. You're really going to love this. Oh, wait a second. As a matter of fact, I got to tell you about this, this bell right here. This is an incredible thing. Uh, this is the bell that they would ring to tell the whole camp that church is about ready to begin. And, and when we were living in, or staying in the, in the youth dorms over there, I got to admit, we would sneak out in the middle of the night and uh, we would sometimes ring this and then we'd run like crazy because all the security guys would come after us on their little 10-speed bikes. It was so fun. Uh, as a matter of fact, we would steal this bell every once in a while. We would literally unbolt it. And, and one year we took it And we literally put the bell inside of the camp director's bathroom in his cabin. Good times, people. Good times, I tell you. This is it. I mean, it may not look like much to you, but to me, this is, this is where God lives. I mean, this is the place. Um, it was built back in the 1920s, I think, that you still have all the, the iron and all the wood ceilings. And, 
It, it's incredible. Look at these old school benches, right? Uh, and, and, and these are these are serious wood benches. Okay, can you imagine the people that had the hell scared right out of them sitting in these benches? Uh, because up there, uh, it looks like they're doing a bunch of work right now, but up there in the front, they used to have this giant platform. We called it the platform, and it would it went from almost end to end, and they could put a big choir up there, the whole nine yards, and there was this podium in the middle, and uh, uh, men of God would stand up and they would preach, and they would share the message of God. And um, looking back when I was a kid, um, I didn't always take it as holy as I should. It wasn't always coming in to a reverent type of a place. You know, when you're a kid, you, you miss a lot of that, right? But looking back, it just floods me with memories because God lived here to me. You see, when, when I was a kid, all the adults, they would kind of sit in this kind of an area and, and the kids, we sat over here in, in the outfield section, right? So we used to sit in these back benches and these are like upgraded from my day because in my day, they just had like a singular like baseball wood bench on the bottom and a, and a bench piece of wood on the back. And so they were like torture chambers growing up. Um, but this is where we sat. This is where we, we would come and, and hang out. And, and really, this leads us to this passage of scripture that we're in today in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you were to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you would see that Solomon begins to talk about the sacredness of coming to the house of God. He, he says, uh, in, in light of everything that we've already talked about, in light of all the injustices of life, and all, in light of all the ups and all the downs and everything in between and all the different seasons of life, he begins to say to us, be careful on how you approach God. And more specifically, he begins to, to challenge our way of thinking about how we approach even coming to the house of God, how we approach coming to church. You, you see, because in our culture, in our world today, even in our church, a lot of people go, you know, church is okay, and, and church is, you know, it's fun to go every once in a while, but it's not like it's that big of a deal. And Solomon's saying, no, 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 church is a huge deal. Going to church is, is a big part of, of life. It's an important part of, of your life. Um, and he says, when you approach church, there's a right way to approach it and a wrong way to approach it. He, he says, when we approach God, um, we need to do it with the right kind of heart, the right kind of reverence. And, and more specifically, he begins to talk about this idea of how do we even approach church life and how do we approach coming to the very house of God? Because when you look at our culture today uh, and you look at even at our church, so many folks, they just go, well, church isn't that really big of a deal. Um, a lot of people go, I'll come to church if I feel like it or if I want to. And, and some people you know, say, hey, I'll go to church because it makes me feel happy. But, but what he begins to paint is a different picture. You know, The Bible doesn't talk about going to church to make us happy. It talks about going to church to make us holy, that it's a different kind of experience. It's, it's a sacred moment. It's something that we ought to approach with the right kind of reverence. We need to approach it with an open heart and a closed mouth. He says, this is so important. He says, don't be rash with your words. Um, in, in the first couple of verses, Solomon says it like this. He says, guard your steps, right? He says, guard your steps as you go into the house of God and draw near to listen. Listen, he says, draw near to listen rather than to offer sacrifices of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. Solomon seems to be getting around this basic idea that there is 
preparation and participation. Two concepts. There's preparation for church and participation. So when you come to church, you got to understand that it is a big deal. And you think about where, where Solomon's coming from. Uh, he built the temple. It took 150,000 men seven years to build the temple. So you think about even our church, right? So many of you spent hours upon hours upon hours building the very room that we worship God in. It ought to change your heart because of the preparation that was involved. He, he talks about this idea of guard your steps. You know, that, that phrase, guard your step, is, is kind of a common phrase in our culture, but he meant it very, very different. You see, in our culture, in our world, you get off the bus, the bus driver says, watch your step. Don't fall. Don't trip up, right? Or when, when you fly in an airplane, uh, the stewardess will meet you on the way out and she'll say, hey, I uh, hope you enjoyed your flight. Watch your step on the way out. Don't get hurt on the way out. And the whole idea is uh, they want to make sure you don't fall, that you guard your step, right? But Solomon's not talking about the footsteps of our life. He's talking about guarding our heart. He says, because when you come here, this is, this is going to change your heart. He says, have an open ear to hear from God. Um, this idea of preparation is so important. You, you think about preparation in our culture. It's, it's so funny because uh, when, when there's a big football game coming up on a Saturday, people spend all Friday night prepping for the big game. They get the right food. They get the right you know setting in the house. They invite their friends over. They make sure everything is perfect. When there's a party coming up or an anniversary coming up or, uh, or a birthday coming up of some kind, the preparation to go into all those things, uh, it's so huge. I mean, people just uh, kill it. They want to make sure it's right. But but we take very little preparation when coming to the house of God. And he says to us, no, no, you better prepare your heart to even walk into the house of God. You see, but most of us, if we're honest, we, we come in late. We come in uh, whenever we're ready to come in. And Solomon says, you better check your heart in this whole deal. You better come into the house of God ready to meet with God. So let's unpack this a little bit. What does it mean? What, what would it be like if we planned to be with God? What would it mean? You know, I, I think uh, some, some things just very quickly would be uh, maybe we should be praying for church all week long. Maybe we should be praying that God would use us as a community all week long. Uh, maybe it would be that you're praying for the leaders of our church. Maybe you're praying that God would use the people who lead our children and lead our teenagers and, and lead our adult experiences. Maybe you'd be praying that God would put his power on them and his authority in them and through them and that, that he would use them in incredible ways to, to affect the lives of people. Maybe we'd be praying for the physical operations of our church and for our facilities and for our finances and, and for the mission that we have, right? What if we were to decide to serve during the week in some way? Would that, would that change the way that we hear from God? I'm guessing it would. If we decided that we would invest some of our life more than just coming and sitting in the chairs, but that we would decide that we were going to clean this building or that we were going to work with the teenagers who fill this building or we would go build the other campus together or if we would invest something of our life into this place during the week, I'm guessing that our church experience would be different. I remember growing up here and we would sit in these chairs and I would see that little verse, Psalm 93, 5. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. When we come to be with God's people, it's meant to be a holy experience, sacred experience, something that is set apart and different from this world. And King Solomon is saying, we got to prepare for that kind of experience because it'll lead to a different participation in that experience. He says in verse 2, 
Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He's talking about this idea of not that God is there and you're here. He's not talking about a difference in distance. He's saying that there needs to be a different perspective that when we come, we're coming to meet the creator. We're coming to have a date with God, an experience with God. And he says, when we do that, it ought to do something in our heart. We ought to speak less and listen more in order to respond in a more deeper way to God. Um, I remember at this camp, it was in uh, about this exact section. It was a Friday night. I was um, about 15 years old, I think maybe almost 16 years old. And um, Friday night, that was the big night at camp because the youth guy, the youth preacher came into the big tab and we showed him how it was done, right? And so the, so the youth preacher guy was up there and uh, his name was Dwight Robertson. And I remember uh, he was preaching this message that um, said that, that the faith of your parents can only carry you so far. And, and I know he was talking directly to me because he said, um, it's time to make your parents' faith your own faith. And I'm looking in this big crowd. There's a whole bunch of kids over here, several hundred of us, and all these thousands of adults over there. And it felt like Dwight was just speaking to me. And he said, you've got to make a decision. You've got to decide one day, and maybe that day would be today, to follow God on your own, to, to give your heart fully to him. I remember these words like it was yesterday. And it just keep, seemed to hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember I was sitting in about this exact spot. And at the very end of the message, he, uh, um, he did something crazy. Back in the old school, right? They, they would ask people to come forward for what we called an altar call. Do you remember this? Um, he, he said, if you want to decide to make faith your own, and I know he was talking right to me. He said, if you want to make faith your own, you need to decide. And you need to come forward. And you need to bow before God. You need to kneel at the altar before God. And, and it's all gone now. They tore it all down, I guess. But uh, I remember getting up on that Friday night. And I stood up and I thought to myself, there ain't no way I'm walking down there. But there was this draw from the Spirit of God that was unmistakable in my life. It was like God was telling me to go walk that aisle and to give my heart for him and and for me, that was a defining moment. I remember walking this exact aisle and I got to that little front area and there's this big wood wall in there and I took a little right-hand turn and I bowed my knee right up there in that front corner. And that's where I gave my heart to Christ. That's where I defined my relationship with God. And I told him, that I wanted him to be my, my Lord, my Savior, um, not just my parents. Friends, that is how we need to approach God, where we let God's Spirit talk to us. I do not want to be a church where people just come and they go, that was nice. Oh, that was a good little talk. That was a nice song that they sang. I want us to have the heart where we come and we meet with God, where our words are few, where we stand in awe before him, where, where 
where sometimes we were moved uh, in our spirits in such a ways that we can't, we can't help but smile. Sometimes we can't help but cry. Sometimes we can't help but laugh. Sometimes we can't help but, uh, but be reflective. I want God's spirit to move deep inside of our hearts when we're in this place. That is how he says to approach God's place. So this is how I want our church to be. This is how I want you to experience church, whether you've been coming to church forever or if this is the first time. Uh, I want it to be a different sort of place, different than anywhere else in the whole world. Yeah, we got rock and roll. Yeah, we use modern you know, lights and PA and band and all that kind of stuff and video. Uh, but I want it to be old school. I want it to be sacred and different. And I hope that you will experience this even today in this place. Draw near to God. Expect something from Him. Draw near to Him. Have you ever like been that person in, in church and you felt like the preacher was just preaching right at you? Anybody? Uh, I don't know if there's any old school type out there that had those altar call type of experiences, but maybe that was you. Maybe you were there going, I ain't going nowhere. But you just felt God's spirit speak to you. Listen, draw near to him. Expect something from him. When we come into this place, don't come in and be some back row Baptist. Right? No, no, no. Come expecting to hear from God. Don't be late. Don't rush in and rush out. Don't, you know, just barely slide in. Get, get here early enough to, to settle your soul a little bit. Stay late enough to recalibrate your heart before you go back into the world. Don't rush. This is a different kind of place. This is different than anywhere else we go in all of culture. This is where we as a people... This is where we come to meet with God, collectively, together, amen? amen? This is very special to us. Holiness becomes the house of the Lord forever. This is sacred ground, friends. And so King Solomon, he begins to teach us about how we should approach even the very house of God. That this is a special place. And stuff that is unique in the human spirit occurs in places like this. And, but he begins to look at how humanity is always related to God. And he begins to notice that, that uh, he, he begins to um, retell or, or to make some observations about how people seem to try to relate with God. And he says, it's kind of messed up. He, he says there's some brokenness in this. And he says, there's got to be a different way to connect with God. And friends, I think you're going to see that, that not much has changed in thousands and thousands of year, years. Because this is what Solomon observes. Listen carefully. Uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 4, he says, when you make a promise to God, remember, he's talking about how people are relating to God. He says, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. Anybody in the room ever say, okay, God, you win, I'll do this, and you didn't? Anybody? 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 He says, don't do that. He says, when you make a commitment to God, it's different than any other kind of commitment you make anywhere else. He says, don't fall through on that. He, He says, it's better to say nothing 
than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And, and don't defend yourself. Uh, listen to this. This is very interesting. Don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that that promise you made was a mistake. And just to give you a little cultural understanding here, um, and this still happens to this very day. Um, people would come and they, they come even to me as somebody who would like be the priest or the pastor or, or the temple messenger, if you will. Uh, it's somebody who represents the house of God. And sometimes people go, you know what, this is what God's stirring inside of me. Here's what I need to do. Here's where God's leading me. And, and you talk about this as somebody and it's almost like you, you're, you're almost saying, hey, this is my commitment. This is my vow. And so people back in this day, as they were making their vow, they would go and grab one of the priests or one of the messengers in the temple, and they would say, hey, hey, here's where God is leading me. Here's where I'm committing. Here's what God wants me to do. And they would make these commitments before God. We wouldn't do such a thing, right? But they did, and he says, don't ever go back on your commitment and say it was a mistake. Hey, pastor, I know I committed to that, but hey, uh, got a little busy. He says, don't do that. He says, don't do that. He says, listen to this. He goes, uh, that would make God angry with you. And he may wipe out everything that you have achieved in this life. And then he says, talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. But he said, there's a whole different way to approach God. He says, don't try to do this bargain game with God. He says, there's a whole different way. Simply this. He says, fear God. Just fear God instead. And he wasn't talking about the kind of fear that, you know, somebody's going to beat you down kind of a fear. He was talking about the kind of fear that a, that a son has for a loving father who has, who has righteousness, who has holiness, and who, who protects and cares for his son. He's talking about the kind of fear that you have for a good father or a grandfather or a good parent or a good friend. Kind of the respecting, loving sort of a fear. He says, here's a whole new way to approach God. Stop the bargain game. Now, friends, this has been going on for thousands of years, and you and I do this. Everybody in this room probably has done this. God, if you get me out of this, I'll do this instead, right? Come on, who's got pulled over by a cop? Come on, you know it. God, if you just get me out of this one ticket, I'll join the clean team at Metro, oh, right? Or, or God, I've really, really screwed up this time. Don't let me go down for the final count. I promise you, God, if you get me through this, God, if somehow you raise me out of this, God, if somehow you see me through this, I will go to renew. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. Friends, we've been relating to God like this forever. Where we think we can bargain with God. Where we think we can leverage something with God. Where we think that we have something to offer him. And Solomon is saying, you better be really careful with that because it doesn't work too well. Because even just in a few verses earlier, he, he, said, he said, where's God? God's there and you're here. He reminds you that, that you are not God. That he's huge and you're not. That he's the man, you're just a man. You see the idea of bargaining, right? You see this idea of, of, of a deal? Listen, when you make a deal with someone, there, there, there's something that you feel you have to leverage against the other person. You have money, you have time, you have talent. You make a deal with, with, with the other person. You leverage something with the other person. You bargain something. Friends, what do we have to bargain with God? What does any of us have to say, okay, God, listen, I got something for you. Right? And Solomon's saying, you have nothing to bargain with. So stop trying the, the vow game. Stop trying to make a promise type of game. God, if you cover me here, I'll cover you there. He says, you have no leverage with God. So stop playing that game. It's got to be different. He says, he says talk is cheap. 
And all of us have had cheap talk with God. He says, this is not how you should relate to God. He says, it's got to be different. Where we understand who he is and what he wants for us and from us. That we fear him in a righteous way because he is God and we are not. Amen? You see, um, back in the day, the way to God was through this sacrificial system at the temple. And you may have heard this. So there were these rules, there were these feasts, these, uh, these sacrifices, these uh, holy days that you had to get everything right and you had to be somewhere and do something at a certain time in a certain way and you had to get it all right. And somewhere along the line, people started to think that if I get it all right, God owes me something. If I go to church, God owes me something. If I give a little, I should get a little. If I serve a little, he should serve me a little. And, and so, friends, what you saw in the scriptures, and you see this all the way through, and, and, and King Solomon was talking about how people were leveraging and they were bargaining and trying to manipulate God because of their promises. As if God was going to do something for them if they did something for him. And Solomon says, this is ta- uh, cheap talk. It will never work this way because God has never been interested in anything that you can do for him. And somebody ought to go, woo, amen to that. Because that's good news. Because God has always been interested in what, friends? Us, the heart. These folks had begun to make a show of the outward. But God says, I'm only interested in what's going on on the inside. I don't want what you can do for me. I don't want what you can give to me. I want your heart to love me, to follow me on your own free will, out of your own free volition. I want you to choose me, not because of some deal, not because of some bargain, not because of some power struggle, but because you love me. That's why I want you to choose me. As a matter of fact, um, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah one time. Listen to this. This I think this is about us, just as much as it was about people thousands of years ago. This is the same thing that we deal with today. Listen to what God says to the great prophet Isaiah. He says, when you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through the courts with all of your ceremony? He says, I see you guys strutting into church and you're looking good and you're like, woo, I hope she checks me out tonight. And and you're hoping that if you raise your hand the right way or sing the right song or give the right money or, or volunteer for the right cause, that somehow people are going to think you're real religious. And he says, whoever asked you for that kind of ceremony where you're trying to impress somebody else? And then it says this, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering, it disgusts me. Listen, listen friends, we have nothing that we can impress God with. And we've got to stop this bargaining game. We've got to stop this vow-making game, this promise-making game. He wants our respect. He wants our love. He wants our devotion because he is a good father who is worth following, who's worth our obedience. Amen? And and friends, this is why Jesus came into our world. He came to teach us this. He came to teach us a whole different way to relate with God. You see, because if you were to travel through the pages of the Old Testament, we do this a lot around here, but you will see that, that everything in the Old Testament pointed to God. 
to a new way of relating to God through, the, through his son Jesus. Everything in the law pointed to a coming Messiah who would teach us a new way to relate to the Father. You see, everything in all of the ceremonies and all of the sacrifices and all of the church gathering and all of the temple worship and all of all of it in the community of God was to point us to a new way, a righteous way of relating to God through his coming son who was the Messiah, through Jesus. Because Jesus, listen friends, was the only one who, who could pay for all sin, who, who made the way to God, who, who was never sinless. He had, he had a perfect motive between the God-man relationship. And he showed us what it means to love God voluntarily, to purpose in his heart to obey him and to follow him. Because he loved God his father. Because God his father was good to him and was worth following. And so Jesus became this once and for all sacrifice for all of humanity. And he shows us a whole new way of relating to God. And, and let me tell you something, friends. Because of Jesus, it is different for us. You don't have to make vows. You don't have to leverage. You don't come to God because of what you can offer to him. It is different. It is different. It is different for us. No matter how, listen, no matter how difficult your past has been, how much you've screwed up your past, you have uh, no less access to God than I do or no less access to God than Ray does. And I know Ray. It doesn't matter who you are. He has made a way for you to come to God. Amen? And so friends, uh, this is what I want us to hear. That this changes the God-man relationship. This changes how we approach him. We need to come expecting to, uh, uh, to, to hear from him. Listen, we, because of Jesus, we can boldly approach God just like Jesus, the son of God, approaches his father. Think about this. You and I can approach God the way Jesus approached God. Not with arrogance and not with any leverage or manipulation, but with a heart of love, confident that God will hear us, confident that God knows our name, confident that God loves us, confident that God knows our need, confident that God knows what's best for us, confident that he wants what's best for us, and confident that one day he will take us into eternity. That is how we can approach God. Amen? So here's what it says. Uh, in the New Testament, it reads like this. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Listen to this. This is so critical, my friends. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, that's who our great high priest is, amen? He says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This, is, uh, th this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, and yet, and yet, listen, he was without sin. So let us, what, what does it say? Come boldly. Come confidently to the throne of grace of our gracious God. Listen, there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. And so what he's saying is this. Somebody needs to go, that is awesome. Because what he is saying to you and to me is that, is that you don't have to manipulate or plead with God or beg of God or promise God anything to come to him. That you can come to him confidently knowing that he loves you. And he will hear from you. To me that is good news, friends. And Solomon saw this way back when, thousands and thousands of years ago. He says, we gotta approach God differently. And all of it points to Jesus. He is our way to God, Jesus himself. 
said, I am the way. I am your way. I am the truth. I am your truth. I am the life. I am your life. No one comes to God except by me. I'm your gateway to God. And so in the Christian church, in the Christian church, we practice this thing called Holy Communion. Have you ever heard of this? Have you heard of this? This thing called Holy Communion. It's this idea that we remember what Jesus has prepared for us. We remember the price that Jesus paid for us. We remember the cost of what it took for him to to provide a way for us to get to God. And so what we do is this. We come to a communion station like this in our church. This is how we do it. And you grab a piece of bread, which represents what, friends? It represents his body, which has been broken for us. Died on the cross for us. Took my place. Took your place. Made a way for us to get to God. And we take the bread and we, and we dip it in the wine which symbolizes his blood that has been shed for us. And we remember, listen friends, we remember what he did to prepare a way to God for us. And so friends, here's what I would like for us to do tonight. I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you to Holy Communion tonight. I'm inviting you to remember what the Savior did for us. And I'm inviting you to come, not arrogantly, but confidently. So maybe you're here tonight and you have some stuff wrestling deep in your soul. Maybe you have a brokenness of soul right now. Maybe you have some issues that have really hung you up. You need to come to God for help and for grace. You need to come to him. You don't need to come by the way of a priest or a pastor. You come right to Jesus. And it says that, listen, it says that you can find help and grace. You can find mercy. And there's some in this room, you would admit, you go, I have really sinned. I've really screwed up. I have really broken my relationship with God in some pretty doggone huge ways. It says that if you come to him, you will find mercy and grace. Maybe you have a need that seems so insurmountable in your life. You come to him, it says. And you will find help. It may not be the exact answer you thought you were going to get. But he is going to give you what you need. Grace and mercy. And so what I would like for you to do when you're ready, the scripture talks about examining your heart. Do you realize this? We don't do this for show. It says to examine your heart before you come before God. Not that you're perfect, not that you got it all together. Nobody does. I don't, <laughs> that's for sure. But it says that you look at your heart and you make sure there are some right things in there. And when you've examined your heart, when you've made it right before God, you can maybe consider this an old-fashioned altar call this morning. Is that okay with you? Or this evening? Is that cool, an old-fashioned? Because maybe you're gonna come... And you're going you're gonna to dip the bread. And if you need to, or if you, if you feel like you're led to this and it's just as fast and simple for you, then awesome. You do it and you, you walk on. 
but maybe you need to go in the corner or maybe you need to kneel at the stage or maybe you need to kneel and make this an altar before God where you just say, God, I need your help. I need your mercy. And I come before you because I don't know where else to go. And you plead your case with God at the altar before God. You come when you're ready. got to be different when we come into this place. This is where we come to meet with God together. The scripture refers to this as the temple of God, oftentimes. The house of God. But it also says that you and I have now become the temple of God. That anywhere we go, the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence within you. You are the temple of God now. He is with you always, not just in this place. There's something special here. But he is with you always. Come to him boldly, confidently that he will hear you. Let's not do the bargain game anymore. Let's pray together. So God, we come before you. And collectively, we just bow. As a people, we lower our heads before you out of respect, out of reverence and awe. God, we want your presence to be made known in our little church so that when folks come in here they see you they see something radically different here God I pray that your voice would speak to each and every single one of us God we pray that your spirit would speak to those who are brand new and are just kind of confused about about you and they're not even sure where you are or who you are I pray that your spirit would speak to them God may your voice be loud to them God I pray that your voice would be loud to those who who've been traveling with you for a long long time and they're tired and they're worn out God I pray that your voice would speak a fresh move into their life God, for those who might be disappointed in this room, maybe they're living with a whole bunch of regrets. God, I pray that your spirit would speak life into them. That they would hear from you. Speak, oh God, in this little church, God. Speak. from you. In Jesus' name, we say, Amen.